Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. I hope you've had a great start to your Sunday morning. I'm thrilled that each and every one of you are here. It's going to be a fantastic day. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 6. We're in a new series entitled All In. And I'm taking Romans chapter number 6, and we're taking some verses that we may be familiar with, and then we're using Peter as a way to illustrate this deep and profound passage of scripture out of Romans chapter number six. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, that is totally fine. It'll be up on the screen. As well as if you would like a Bible, we would love to get a Bible into your hands. It'd be our gift to you, just as a way to say thank you once again for being here. As we dive in this morning, we said last week that God is not a respecter of persons but of principles. And if you and I will follow the principles, we will see that God's power will flow through us and God will be able to use us in greater ways. We illustrated this with kind of a silly illustration. And I'm a little bit bummed because all last week, everybody's been wanting to see pictures of Little Red and not me. So I'm a little bit just kind of like, oh, okay, I see, I see who was important last week. So Little Red is the one that stole the show. If you want to know more about Little Red, go back, watch the podcast, or listen to the um, live stream or something like that. But we'd love to have you look at it. Romans chapter number 6. The Bible says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We see the word yield. This is a powerful word. It's a word that really changes everything for you and I. I often do weddings, and at weddings, people say, it's two lives joining together. I actually like to say it's actually two people surrendering their lives and creating a new life. There's a surrender that happens. There's a yielding that happens. There's a yielding up of bank accounts. Sometimes. I found out my wife had a secret account, but hers had money in it, mine didn't. I was like, yes! It's like finding... $20 in a winter jacket. You're just like, man, I'm so smart to put money in my jacket last winter. That was awesome. It's great. But there's a surrendering that happens. And so God wants you and I to see that as we surrender, great things happen. We live in a day and age today where it seems like people want to buy into Jesus, but they don't want to sell out to him. They want to buy into him. I mean, who doesn't like Jesus? He's great. He does all kinds of amazing miracles. But to sell out to him, no thanks. The author and writer Mark Batterson said, today we live in the day that he calls the inverted invite. That is to say that instead of Jesus saying, come and follow me, we've said to Jesus, no, no, how about you follow me? And we put ourselves front and center of everything that happens in our life. We haven't surrendered all to Jesus. We haven't yielded to him. We instead have invited Jesus on this journey called our lives. But yet whenever anything goes wrong or something disappoints us or something upsets us, we're real quick to go to Jesus and be like, hey, 
You see what's going on here? My latte was not exactly at 120 degrees. A little bit too cold. Hey, that's silly. Uh, we, we, we snap our fingers and say, hey, God, are you watching? I don't have a place to live, and I have to move out of my current place. Are you watching, God? We, we meet people that so often we want to once again be at the center of our world, and God is saying, you're not at the center. And so surrender puts the proper person in its rightful place, and that's not us. And that's really hard for us to swallow. Being selfless is not pleasant. It's not something that we want to do. And so we learn about this man by the name of Peter. And Peter sums it up so perfectly because he really embodies what it means to truly surrender all. So turn to Matthew chapter number 14. Notice if you would, verse 22, the Bible says this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them. This is crazy. Walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out and said, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You know, last week we looked at people getting into a boat. This week's all about people getting out of a boat. Growing up, my dad was a pastor. I didn't plan on being a pastor. It was the last thing I wanted to do. I saw the life of a pastor and I was like, that is not for me. Let me go do something else. However, God had other plans. But growing up in a pastor's home, whatever was going on at the church meant that my life kind of revolved around it. And every summer we would do something called vacation Bible school. How many of you, by a show of hands, you know what a vacation Bible school is? You ever heard of one? Yeah. Maybe you haven't. I'll explain it to you. They are a lot of fun. And growing up in Fresno, there wasn't a ton to do in Fresno. However, whenever we would do vacation Bible school, we would do it for the kids. And the kids got cookies and Kool-Aid. And it's kind of lame. It's flannel graph and little stories. And they got to memorize verses. It's just kind of boring. But when it came to our youth group and the teens, it was a blast. We would get all the teens together. It'd be massive water wars. We'd play these incredible games. We would have a guest evangelist or a speaker come in for the week. There'd be some amazing food. There was prizes. It was just a week that was just super fun. It's almost like we would take what you would do at a summer camp and we brought it to our church. And we just had a blast. And we'd have all these teens come in and other churches would send teens. We had so much fun. And what they would also do is they would have a little competition and it was to see which team could win for the week. 
And you got points by winning the games. You got points by bringing visitors. You also got points because every night we would take an offering. An offering meant you just bring a little bit of money and it would help kind of cover the cost of everything. And so we would have a competition during the offering. And that would determine the winner for that day. And whoever won the most amount of days, they would win for the week. And I think they got a big party or something. I don't remember, but it was something cool that we were working for. I'm not super competitive, except at rare moments. And for whatever reason, as a 15-year-old, I got competitive. I said, Robert, I'm going to win this thing. Our team's going to win. And so I remember that we were not doing so well. So I said, you know what? we can win the offering for the day and that'll tip the scale and we'll, we'll make it. And so I reached into my wallet and I had $20. Now, you gotta remember in 1998, $20 was actually something, okay? I didn't have a job. Nowadays, 20 bucks, you're like, I, I, not much I can get. But then $20 for a 15 year old, you're like, that's, that's some money. So I remember I put in my $20 and we were ahead. Then there's always that one rich kid that you're just jealous of, that he's holding out sandbagging, just waiting for the last countdown. And then he walks up and he drops two $20 in. I was like, no, you can't do that. We were winning. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, what I did next. I got up out of my seat after we had already collected the offering. I walked over. I reached my hand into the bucket. Yeah, I did. I grabbed my $20 and I said, if we're not going to win, I don't want to waste it. I know. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. We just took an offering and you were like, hey, hold up. Hey, come back here. Where are those buckets at? I just dropped in some money. If you ain't going to win, I ain't going to waste it. And some of you feel like that's what God is going to do with your life. You feel like, God, if I give you my life, you might waste it. So I'm not going to waste it. I'll take it back and I'll use it for what I want. And the fact of the matter is, this whole series is to speak to that part of us that says, if I won't win, I don't want to waste it. And I'm here to tell you, nothing giving to God is ever wasted. God never wastes anything. There's nothing he doesn't waste. And yet the holdup that we have this morning in selling out to Jesus is that we have really good plans. And our plans are exciting. The future that we have, that we're just looking towards, we're saying, God, it can't get any better than this. And God is stepping back and God is saying, actually, I got some really great plans. This morning, surrender really has nothing to do with an action, and it has everything to do with an emotion. The act of surrender is actually quite simple. I could surrender my iPad to my son Austin here on the front row, and I could just surrender. That's a simple action. Would I ever get my iPad back? Absolutely not. So the thing that holds me back from surrendering is not the action that it's going to take. It's the emotion that it's going to take. What's holding you back from surrendering to your significant other is that your significant other wants the pin code to your debit card and you know they love to shop. 
You know that if you surrender the pin code to your phone, they're going to have access and the emotion that comes with it. You know that if you give them the key to your place, all of a sudden they're going to move in. You know that there's these different parts in your life that surrendering, the action is easy. It's the feeling that's tough. This is why the disciples, it even says that they were terrified. It's an emotion. You and I are actually held back more by our emotions than anything else. You actually love the idea of eating healthy, going to the gym, saving money, being generous. You love that idea. You hate the feeling of when your alarm clock goes off. You grab that baseball bat by the side of your bed and you say, I will show you to scream at me at 4.30 in the morning. It's an emotion that you don't like. You don't like the emotion. Otherwise, we'd all get up early, do our cardio, work out, eat right. It's the emotion we don't like. And what I'm trying to help us to say is surrender is actually simple, but what ends up happening is this emotion is what stops you and I from going forward. What will other people think if I'm a Jesus freak? What will my family think? What will my neighbors think? Because we are all okay. The lights are going down. We lost power. Somebody took their $20 back. We lost the money. (laughs) Telling you, that's what happened. Don't fall asleep on me. Keep the lights up. Thank you. I want to see the whites of your eyes. See if you sneak out. He's like, that's enough, Pastor. Be quiet now. Hush. Surrender. I'll say this. You won't yield anything to God until you believe that he is everything. You won't surrender anything until you realize that he is everything. That when you get Jesus, you're getting everything. There is nothing else that you're going to lack. That the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you're getting all of him. And some of us don't look at it as a fair trade. I have an older brother, and older brothers do what older brothers do. So I had a $5, and my older brother had three $1 bills. He came up to me. I was about four years old. He said, hey, Micaiah, how much money do you have in your hand? I said, $5. And he said, are you sure about that? I said, I know I'm homeschooled, but that's a five. And then he said, I have more than you. I said, nuh-uh, it's $5. And my brother said, hold on, hold on. How many bills do you have? Uh, One. He said, how many bills do I have? Three. He said, is three more than one? Uh Uh-huh. And I traded him. I was like, I have $3. I have $3. Hey, hey. My own brother ripping me off. Isn't it amazing? We just feel like people are out there to cheat us and to get us. And we don't realize that God is not out there to trick you. And he's not trying to trade anything for less. And some of us feel like what we have is so valuable. And then we look at what God has. We're like, I don't know. You own the whole world. I don't know if this is a good trade. I'm telling you. My life goal is to serve an example that nothing given to God is ever wasted. That you can give him your, cow, your house, you can give him your life, and God doesn't sit back and say, excellent, I've been waiting for Micaiah to surrender to me because I just don't like him. And I just want to part the clouds and I want to look down and say, Micaiah, I hate you, car, wham, smack God's not looking to do it. But yet some of us feel like that's what's going to happen. That the moment we sell it for God, that, that we're going to become the next Job. But I'm here to show you and illustrate over the next few minutes we have together. 
that God wants you to see that until you realize who he is, you're not going to yield anything to him. And the same is true for these disciples. Verse 27, Jesus came to them in, in, in verse 27 and he shows up and who did they think Jesus was? They thought he was a ghost. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jane and I have been in the Sea of Galilee in 2010. It was a nice little boat. We were cruising across. Tiberius was on our left and we were headed to Capernaum and it was a cool boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And I was looking around and it's a big lake. I've been on Lake Michigan. That is a huge lake. Sea of Galilee is not as big, but I, I was crossing. I was like, huh, this is kind of the spot. And you could see land on either side, but in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. in the morning with a big storm, maybe, maybe, yeah, you would, you would get disoriented. You'd be afraid. But then I remember, wait a minute. I'm in a boat that has a motor. I'm in a boat that has life vests. This is totally different than what Peter had. Peter had a little 10 foot by maybe six foot wide rowboat. That's what he had. And they were all in this boat crossing the sea, no life vest, and there's a storm. Yeah, this thing could capsize and they could all drown and they could all die. And then to make matters worse, they're looking out over the waves and they see somebody walking and they can't believe it's Jesus because he's walking on water. And in case you haven't tried it recently, when you and I try to walk on water, we don't walk on water, we sink. So you better know how to swim. I don't see Aquaman in here. So all of us are going to sink if we try to do this. So in their mind, they see Jesus. He's walking on the water. And they're just thinking, this has got to be an apparition. It's got to be a spirit. It has to be a ghost. And then Jesus does something. He first speaks to their feeling, not to the situation. Isn't that amazing? He says, don't be afraid. This morning, I want to speak first to your feeling first. You know, we don't follow facts, we follow feelings. That's the truth. If you're dating or engaged or married to a person, can I tell you what? The fact is they were probably a good person, but your feelings told you they're hot. That's why you're with them, okay? And if your feelings didn't say they're hot, somebody's rich, okay? That's all I got to say. Somebody got a lot of money, all right? That's, that's all I'm going to say, all right? But no, the reality is our feelings go first. Your feelings go first. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to speak to the feelings first. Don't be afraid. And then he said, take courage. I am here. But what's incredible is our English Bible is a translation of a Greek and Hebrew Bible. And the English language is a little, little bit limited in, in, in what it's trying to communicate here and what he's actually saying. Jesus is using the same words that we can find in Exodus chapter number three. It's the same word. He's not saying, I am here. He's actually saying, I am. And there was a man in Exodus by the name of Moses. And Moses was on the backside of the wilderness. He's 80 years old. He thought he was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so he murdered an Egyptian, buried the body, escaped for his life. And he spent 40 years running from Pharaoh on the backside of the desert. And then God appears to him in a burning bush. And then God says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to deliver my people. And Moses said to this burning bush, who is it that's sending me? And the answer was, I am that I am. I am meaning I am whatever you need. That's who I am. 
So Jesus is speaking and giving them a deeper revelation of who he is. The word revelation means a revealing. It's a secret. He's showing another characteristic. He's showing them exactly who he is. It's this revelation, this revelation that Jesus isn't just a good teacher, that Jesus isn't just this carpenter. Jesus isn't just this nomadic speaker. No, Jesus is the I am. That's the revelation. Because remember, you and I aren't going to yield anything until we know that he is everything. And so Jesus comes to him and he says, I am. I love that he says, I am, not I was. Some of you look back and in your life, you face some very difficult paths. And you're not thinking that he is, I am. You're thinking he was. He, he was good in the past, but he went, allowed him to go through a divorce. He was good, but that was before the cancer diagnosis. He was good, but that was before I lost my house, before I lost my job, before I lost my mother and my father. He was good. I don't know if he still is good. And this morning, God is here to remind you that Jesus said, I am, not I was. The word of God tells these the same today as yesterday, today, and forever. But I noticed something in this passage. The Bible clearly tells us that the disciples, they saw a ghost, and that's not reality. It wasn't a ghost. You see, it wasn't their vision that changed everything for them. It was when Jesus said, I am, that's what calmed their fears. When they heard Jesus speak. You see, the disciples didn't trust their vision. And this is right because we don't walk by faith, but we, walk by, and we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And some of us are trusting our vision if we're going to surrender to God. Is it, is it going to weigh out? Is this a good deal or a bad deal? We're trying to walk by sight. And God is saying, no, no, no. This is a faith move. This is something you have to trust me. And so the disciples trusted his voice. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. The right voices always lead to the right choices. Think about some of the wrong choices you've made. It's because you had the wrong voices around you. So right voices lead to right choices. And Peter is about to make the next right choice. And it's going to be based on because of the voice he was listening to. I once heard a speaker say this, the voice you listen to will determine the life you experience. Jane and I have been married almost 15 years and I'm thrilled about that. You'll have to ask her her feelings, but for me, it worked out great. However, oh, thank you. Pity applause. I appreciate that. That that always makes me feel good. I remember going up to her dad, most intimidating Filipino gentleman I'd ever met. All right. Man, I just remember sitting there and remember that first time going up to propose or at least ask him if I could ask his daughter. I just remember walking up and I just was so excited. I was like, yeah, this is going to be great because, uh, you know, all Jane's friends, they're all engaged and I wanted to be respectful and everything. So go up and I was just, I was confident of a yes. You ever just gone in? You just thought you were going to get that yes. You were like, this is a shoe in. I mean, what's not to like, you know, scrawny little white guy, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, I'm broke. I'm in debt. I want to marry your daughter. Do you have a career path? No. It's all right. We'll figure it out. We'll live on love. It'll be great. And in that moment, it's no shock to me now as it was then that he said no. And then when I came back a second time, he said no a second time. 
I came back a third time. He said no a third time. You see, you and I, we face this rejection in our life. And I remember if I would have listened to his voice, how different my life would be. What if I would have listened the first time he said no? My life would be totally different. I was at a pivotal moment. It was what I would call a a, a divine moment. One of those moments that my life totally was going to change. And right now, some of you are here and you're in this pivotal moment that will decide the rest of your life. And you're making some major decisions. And you are going to have a response to the revelation you receive. Now, my question is, what voice are you listening to? Because Peter's about to respond to the revelation. What is Peter's response? It's found in verse 28. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, Peter wasn't sure. There's a little bit of doubt. Some of you aren't sure about Jesus. There's a little bit of doubt. That's fine. Doubt doesn't keep anybody out. Some of you feel like, well, I got to know that I got to know that I got to know that I got to know. Peter's sitting there and he's saying, hey, if it's really you, let's put this thing to the test. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I love this. Jesus said, yes, come. Jesus said to Peter, so he went over the side of the boat and stopped just for a moment. Imagine this. The storm, has it stopped yet? Yes or no? No, it hasn't. The storm's still going on. I married my wife in, this is sad that it's taken me a minute to figure out, February 20th, 2009. February the 27th, 2009, she gets me on a boat. I'd never been on a boat before. She wants to go scuba diving. I hate boats. She hates boats. She just loves the ocean. And to get into the ocean to go scuba diving, you have to use a boat to get there most of the time. You can go from shore, but it's best on a boat. I just don't like boats. Say, do you get seasick? No, I don't. I wish I did. I just don't like the ocean, okay? I like the beach. That's cool. But there's things bigger than me that are in there. And Jane's just got this fascination with getting me on boats and getting me to do these crazy, stupid things that involve sharks in the ocean that I think are just crazy, I'm since lowering my life insurance policy. I'm like, you know what? I'll just get this thing to zero, you know? Like then, then maybe she won't invite me on all these boats or anything like that. Can I tell you, every time I get out of the boat, it's this nerve wracking thing. But never once has a captain taken us and said, hey guys, there's a typhoon coming. Let's go scuba diving over there. And then we're gonna have you jump in. No, they take us to calm water, DJ Curtis. They anchor in. They do a little check and they say, okay, it's safe. Go ahead and jump in. And even then I get my little flippers on, put my flippers in and flap them real quick. Here, jazzy, jazzy, jazzy. Jazzy, jazzy, jazzy. Or for modern viewers, here, Maggie, Maggie, Maggie. I just got to check, you know? So imagine Peter for a second. He's stepping at the edge of the boat and I wonder how he got in. Is this 10-year-old, like, cannonball Peter going to jump in? Or is it going to be where he's going to do one of these, where he's going to stand up and, and, and get up and then, and then like, stand up on the... I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a visual guy. So I want to see, how did he get in? Because there's a storm, so that means the boat is moving. So how, how good is his balance? Is he standing up there? And I, I have a point to this. You're thinking, this guy loves attention. No, no, I have a point. <laughs> He's, he, he, he was Peter up on the boat and he's just confident doing a Superman pose. Like, I'm going to show these 11 little wussies. I have more faith. I'm more surrendered. I mean, I think about these things. 
How did Peter get in? Because this is, this is a baby step, but it's a big step. It's the first step. So how did he approach this step? And some of you, how are you approaching this next step that God has in your life? Is it a step that you said, you know what, I am all in? Or is it kind of timid? And can I say this? The approach doesn't matter. Yeah. How you approach God really doesn't matter. Some of us feel like we need to approach God just sobbing, crying, just, just ugly crying, and that's how we got to approach God. Maybe some. For some, it's going to be a still small voice. God's just calling you out of a boat. And God just wants to say, get out. Come to me. So what I think for Peter, I think for Peter, he grabbed the side of that boat. And I think he had tons of doubt. Because he's a fisherman. He knows how the ocean works. And I think he did this. I think it was one leg at a time. That's how I think he did it. And then I think just for good measure, a couple times. And then he did this and he held on. And then I think he looked at Jesus and then like a baby learning to walk, taking their first wobbly steps when they're so cute and they got those thunder thighs and jelly rolls and they're trying to stand. I think he started to walk and then and then he stood up. You know what's keeping some of you out of not stepping out of the boat? You're worried about how you look to others. You're worried that you may look foolish going to church. You're worried that maybe people are going to think you're weird. A pastor encouraged me recently. He said, it's interesting. When you go to the club on a Saturday night, which Angel has tons of experience. I mean, that guy party, he is wild, right? He said, do you, when you bring your friend to the club, say, I'm sorry it's so loud in here. I'm sorry there's so many people jumping and dancing around. It's interesting, we don't do that. I'm sorry that everybody's having a good time and laughing and we don't really know the songs. I'm sorry. And da, 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 da. But when we come to church, we feel like we got to apologize for everything. Okay, you're going to see this pastor. He gets a little bit wild. He just got back from sabbatical. I think he just pounds caffeine right before he gets up and speaks. He's going to talk really, really fast. And you're going to try to take notes, but you're not going to be able to keep up. So just don't worry about it. Catch the podcast. You'll be fine. Just keep coming. Why do we got to do that? Instead of just saying, no, we're just getting out of the boat. Yeah, it's just that baby step. And we're going to be here to catch you. But Peter does something crazy. He, he even uses a word. He says, Lord, uh, tell me to come out. But the word, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually is the word command. Here's what's crazy. Peter, Vince, tells Jesus to command him to get out of the boat. Because Peter knew he needed to make sure that obedience was no longer optional. Some of us want obedience to be optional. But Peter said, let's take the options away. Let's just make it so I have to do this. To get up early, I put my phone at the other side of the room because I don't like to get up early. But since I'm out of bed, might as well stay out of bed. Some of us, we make it optional for obedience. When God is saying, are you really surrendered or are you not? 
Are you really about this? Are you saying, I'll buy in, but I don't want to sell out? Where Peter's saying, I'm going to get out of the boat. How long did Peter walk in the water? Does anybody know? I'm curious. Anybody know? It doesn't matter, does it? He's the only one that we know that's done it outside of Jesus. And some of us want to speculate, and some of us want to be like, well, he only walked on the water for a little bit, and then he sunk like a rock. You know what's funny? We don't do that with Orville and Wilbur Wright. The first airplane, do you know how many seconds it flew? Twelve. I don't know if you really call that flying. I think Buzz Lightyear calls that falling with style. I have a joke about 12 seconds on my wedding night, but we got guests here, so we'll skip that, all right? So we'll keep on moving. But anyway, so Peter here. Welcome to Southwest Church. We're not fully surrendered and redeemed around here. Some of you look like you needed to be woken up a little bit. But here, Jesus is saying, are you going to step out? And Peter is saying, yes, I'll get out. Peter is looking, and he's saying, I will step out. And it was a reaction. But here's the thing. Peter was about building his faith, and boats don't build faith. Some of you want to serve Jesus in the confines and the comfort of what you know is safe. But I'm here to tell you, surrender was never meant to be safe. This is about courageous surrender. This is about changing lives. This is about making your life count. Something bigger, something bolder, something better. God is saying, I'm calling you to more. And this boat that you created, the 401k, the house, the family, the job, the career, the vacation, everything you think that you think is going to build you is not building you. It's when you get outside of the boat. That's where the faith grows. And some of us don't understand that it's in the storm God does his greatest work. And God is calling you out of your boat. I don't know what your boat might be, but this morning God is saying, let's go. Peter realized that he lived in two worlds simultaneously. He lived in the world of reality. And then he also lived in a world of the supernatural. The natural and the supernatural. And when he stepped out of the boat, he stepped out of the natural world and he stepped into the supernatural world. Because in the natural world, you can't walk on water. That's the supernatural. And God is asking you to live in two different worlds. It's where you bring the natural in to the supernatural. You say, Makai, do you really believe in the supernatural? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus healed people. Jesus saw miracles. I can't wait to actually share all the miracles that God has done in our church. It would blow your mind if I told you all that God has done since Jane and I sold our house and gave it to the church. It would blow your mind. And I just step back and sometimes I just look at my life and I'm like, this is crazy. This is awesome. This is an adventure of seeing what God wants to do when you just yield. So your response to him. I love what Peter does though. You see, a true believer puts his faith where his future is. He was going to put his faith where his future was. You say you believe in Jesus, but you won't take steps to put your faith there in your future. 
You're saying you want to sell out, but yet you're still playing it safe. Peter knew that his future was never in the boat. Because in Luke 5, he had already made the decision to leave his net and to leave the boat. Some of us are holding on to this boat, but yet we have to remember that our future is not in the boat. So put your faith into your future. What is that future that God has for you? It's time to leave the shores of safety and pursue something bold, something big, something dangerous, something that's going to take your life's pursuit. Why is it that we think making money, acquiring fame, having a lot of influence, building a career, building a business, we feel like these things will satisfy. That is your feelings guiding you. Because in Sausalito, just a few years ago, a man that we all know by the name of Robin Williams, he had money, he had fame, he had prestige, he was a great comedian, could make millions of people laugh. He had a beautiful family. When he didn't want to make people laugh, he wanted to make them cry. He said, I'm going to do this movie called Goodwill Hunting. And he won an Oscar for his performance in Goodwill Hunting. And all of a sudden we realized, here's an amazing actor. He can make you laugh. And the very next moment, he can make you cry. Why did that guy take a belt around his neck and hang himself? Because we've been sold this lie that the money you can make in this valley will make you happy. That the relationships you can have will make you happy and they don't. And Peter began to figure it out. He began to realize that I'm going to put my faith where my future is. Where is that future that God is calling you to? Some of you are trying to figure out God. And it's not our job to figure him out. It's our job to follow him. And let's step back and say, God, I will follow you. I will pursue you. And then the crazy thing is, when faith takes hold, impossibilities must yield. The water became solid so that Peter could walk on it because his faith took hold of something. So no longer was it Peter having to surrender and yield. It was now the atoms in water became solid and not liquid so he could walk on it. Something else was yielding. We don't understand what God can do until we say, Lord, I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm just going to pursue you. And it wrecked their reality. Let's close with this. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they explained. They finally got it. He said, you really are. In, in that moment, they got it. They said, you got to be Jesus. We just saw this miracle. We saw Peter walk on water. We saw the storm calm. And now they have a new re ruined reality. They get a revelation of who Jesus is. Peter responds to that revelation. And now they have a ruined reality. Their life is never going to be the same. These 11 are going to be forever changed. Their life is totally wrecked. This is why I want our church to be a mission sending and a missions going church. Our church has been to the Philippines. Our church has been to South America. Our church is sending missionaries. Our church supports missionaries. We're about church planning because here's what happens. You go to a third world country and you see what they go through and you come back here and you are beautifully, wonderfully wrecked by what you saw. And all of a sudden you realize, man, my life is so good. And there's so much I can do for others that are suffering. And the disciples, their life is forever changed. 
and now they want to follow him. You see, they changed. They went into a storm with doubt and they came out of the storm with faith. You're going into things and then you're going to come out of things a totally different person. People have often said, keep your head out of the clouds and your feet on the ground. Ever heard it? Get your head out of the clouds. Get your feet on the ground. Here's what I love about following Jesus. Jesus can take water and make that ground. He can take a situation you don't think is solid and he can make it solid. So I don't have to get my head out of the clouds. And if I'm obedient to what he's called me to, it is solid ground. But I have to follow him. 1857, a 2,000-foot, two-inch rope was strung across Niagara Falls from Canada to New York. And a man by the name of Charles Blondine was a tightrope walker. In those days, they actually called it a rope dancer. And Mark, nobody thought he could do it. They said, this guy's a fool. He couldn't get life insurance. And so he steps up and Charles Blondine carefully starts to walk across his tightrope. But then something happens. He gets to the very middle of the tightrope and he stops, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a fishing line, He drops it down to a boat below. They tie a bottle of wine to the fishing line. He pulls it back up, uncorks it, and takes a drink while the crowd of 25,000 is just watching. Puts the cork back on, lowers it back down, walks to the other side, and the crowd erupts in applause. Then he says, who believes I can do that same tightrope walk blindfolded? The crowd applauds. He said, what about if I bring an old-fashioned camera and I take a picture of the audience on the middle of that tightrope? The crowd goes wild. He does it. He says, okay, what if I take a stove out on there, a real stove, and I cook an omelet and I serve it to the people below me? And the crowd just erupts. One day he gets a wheelbarrow. He says, I'm going to take this wheelbarrow to the other side. And the crowd's like, yes, the wheelbarrow. And then he comes back with the wheelbarrow. And then he says, who believes I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and carry him to the other side? And Nicole, everybody applauded. Everybody cheered. They said, do you believe I can do it? And everybody said, yes, we believe. And then he said, who will get in my wheelbarrow? All the true believers got real quiet. Nobody moved. But that day, out of the crowd, one man stepped forward. It actually wasn't a man. It was Charles Blundine's son. 11-year-old boy. He said, I believe. And he got in. And his father took him across that tightrope and brought him back. 
we love to sit here in our air-conditioned auditorium saying, God is great. God is awesome. Let's go change the world. Let's go build our building. Let's go spread the love of Jesus. Let's, let's have fun at church. And then God says, will you sell out to me? And then the church just gets really quiet. The world doesn't need more declarations of Jesus' love. It needs demonstrations of Jesus' love. And we've gotten really good about talking about all the things we're gonna do. I hate being that type of a hypocrite. And this is why hundreds of thousands of residents of San Jose look at the church and they just say, don't preach to me. Don't preach to me. Until your faith is willing to bet it all, risk it all, and get in a wheelbarrow and do something courageous, don't talk to me. So who are we? Are we the type that says, I surrender all, we preach to others what we ourselves will not live? Are we the type that says, it's vacation Bible school in summer. Win or lose, this isn't wasted. And we give it all. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, this morning as we gather, we want to see you calling men and women to a greater calling, a greater life. However, we're not surrendered to it. I don't know what's keeping us so tightly gripped to the boat of our life that we don't want to surrender to you. But I sense this morning that the Holy Spirit is weakening the grip of some of us on the boat of our lives. And we are now willing to say, I surrender, I yield, I give it to you. Because we first realize who you are, that you are great. And God, I pray for those that are struggling. There is an internal war. Do we go all in? Do we play it safe? Will we win? Ours is not the reason why, Lord. Ours is simply to obey. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's somebody here this morning and you would say, I, I don't know this Jesus. But I want to know him. I want to receive him as my savior. I want to invite him into my life to receive forgiveness of sins. And if that's you, with nobody looking around, it's just me, you slip up a hand and say, yeah, today I want to receive Christ as my savior. Is anybody like that? You'd slip up a hand. Can I pray for you? I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Four hands. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Oh, another hand, another two hands. Amen. God bless you. You may put your hands down. Seven people raising their hands to say, yes, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Can we do this? Can we all pray together out loud for the sake of those that are receiving Christ for the first time and for those who are coming back to Christ after a long time? 
And I want to pray a prayer that's actually, it was written in the 1600s. And I want to pray it out loud. And we can all pray it together. I'll lead and you can repeat after me. Dear God, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and my, I am Thine. So be it. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you pray that prayer? Did you receive Christ into your heart this morning? Would you slip up a hand so we could celebrate with you? Would that be you? You say, yes, I see that hand. Thank you, praise the Lord. Amen, that hand. Let's celebrate with those that said yes. They're taking that next step. I love that prayer because it's not just a prayer for those getting saved. It should be the prayer of our hearts. I'm no longer mine. Today's gonna be a great day. And I hope we could stick around and fellowship with you. So here's what I'd invite you to do. We're about to be dismissed in just a moment. And we're gonna go back out the doors and we're gonna have what we're calling tailgate Sunday. But we need you to do something, parents. If you checked in one of your children into Ridge Kids, there's not free childcare where you go eat, okay? So please stop by, pick up your children first and then go eat. Don't just say, this is great. We're actually gonna go across the street to Whole Foods and we're gonna get some food and then we'll be back. No, 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 please grab your children, take them with you. And then if you're a first time guest, I would love to meet you in the lobby to receive your gift. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank Have a you great again day. for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.